Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hello, how's it going? And today we're talking about Zack Snyder's Justice League. Fighting the devil in his army. You know? I mean, this, this guy's probably fought hundreds of thousands of other super beings on the other planets he's destroyed, right? And we have to assume he's won. I don't care how many demons he's fought and how many hells. He's never fought us. Not us united. This is a dark, Zack Snydery American superhero team up extended director's cut deluxe. Directed by Zack Snyder. The cast includes Batfleck, Geralt of Rivia, Lynn Cheney, the woman who wrote John Legend's Imagine, Henry Hayes. New Orleans Center Stephen Adams, Patrick from the Perks of Being a Wallflower, Norman Osborne, Mark Zuckerberg, Scar, Terrence Fletcher, Agent Ryan, played by Ryan uh, Zhang, who also plays a character named Ryan in this film, Ryan Choi, and Angie Anderson. I watched this movie on HBO Max. Joey, how did you watch it? I also watched it on HBO Max, the only place it's available. But I did... Take the, you know, Disney, if you're listening, listen, like we shelled out for this movie. You know, we will shell out for your movies if you make them available. You know what I mean? Don't don't hide them in a vault. We will pay for them. Shelled out is for sure. HBO Max (laughs) is expensive. So uh, I hope that this podcast is worth the investment we both put in. (laughs) I'm sure we will. uh, Yeah. So um, (laughs) let's uh, let's get it started with our synopsis. Joey, go ahead. After the events of Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, Superman is dead. His death has awakened three ancient artifacts called Mother Boxes, which send a message to the deepest, darkest reaches of the universe. The message is received by Steppenwolf, a planet-conquering space demon with weird, spiky armor. Batman, disturbed by Superman's death, decides it's about time he assembles some sort of superhero fighting team. Luckily, he already has a list of promising candidates from the previous movie. Aquaman, who is brooding and shirtless in Iceland. The Flash, who is pretty new to heroing. Cyborg, whose dad turned him into a robot after a car accident. And Wonder Woman, who delivers some vital exposition about the incoming invasion. You see, Steppenwolf works for the intergalactic emperor, Darkseid. They use the mother boxes to transform a host planet into a hellscape and all of its inhabitants into Darkseid slaves. Thousands of years ago, Earth's greatest heroes fought against Darkseid and beat him back, but Darkseid left behind the Mother Boxes and something called the Anti-Life Equation. The Mother Boxes were split between the three Earth factions, the Atlanteans, who hid their box in a secret underwater bunker that is under constant guard, the Amazons, who built a big stone vault where the boxes got watched by a small army of fierce super warriors, and the humans, who uh, buried theirs in the woods. Steppenwolf uh, has already gathered two of the mother boxes and is just looking for the last one. Luckily, Cyborg knows exactly where it is. He is actually a product of the mother box's immense and mysterious power. Steppenwolf attacks Star Labs, where Cyborg's dad works, and takes a number of scientists hostage. The newly formed team of heroes tracks them down and chases Steppenwolf off. Cyborg recovers the mother box, and the team discusses their next steps. The Mother Box has some crazy powers, and they theorize they can use it to bring Superman back to life. 
Doing so would almost certainly alert Steppenwolf of, his, of its location, which would allow him to combine the Mother Box's powers to destroy Earth. So it's a risk, but it's a risk they have to take, I guess, since everyone loves Superman so, so much. They set up the environment inside of Superman's spaceship. However, the ship is damaged and cannot provide the energy required to bring someone back from the dead. Luckily, the Flash can do that by running really fast. So fast that he actually reverses time slightly. The giant, complicated defibrillator works, and Superman wakes up. He is disoriented, though, so he attacks our heroes. Superman beats them all, but is interrupted by Lois Lane, who takes him back to his farm to recover his memories. During the confusion, Steppenwolf arrives and grabs the last mother box, but not before Cyborg's dad tragically dies while superheating the box so that it can be tracked. Now they know where Steppenwolf is. Unfortunately, Superman is still off in Kansas, so the team of heroes heads to stop the end of the world. There's an epic battle between faceless flying goons and our color colorful band of superheroes. As Wonder Woman and Aquaman hold off Steppenwolf, the Flash runs in a big circle, charging up for the final push that Cyborg needs to separate the mother boxes. Batman shoots some demons. Things aren't looking so good. Steppenwolf gains the upper hand, and the Flash gets shot, which interrupts his charging. Just when all hope seems lost, Superman arrives and kicks Steppenwolf's ass. Unfortunately, he is too late. Cyborg is unable to separate the mother boxes, and the world begins to transform. But the Flash runs so fast, he turns back time, and he arrives at the exact right moment to push Cyborg into the mother boxes. Inside, Cyborg solves the Mother Box's riddle and successfully separates them. Superman hum humiliates Steppenwolf, and Wonder Woman chops off his head, sending his body back to Darkseid. The movie ends with a couple of epilogues. Martian Manhunter shows up to awkwardly tell Batman that he exists, and then Batman has another vision of the future in which he is teamed up with Jared Leto's Joker to fight off an evil Superman. The End Wow, and it didn't even take four hours to tell the story. <laughs> and it was just as entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get started with our pros and cons. I'll go first. I think this movie, well, one thing I like about it, just because I, I like some of Zack Snyder's other stuff, is it was very Snyder core, you know? There was mm. an obscene amount of slow motion, which... I definitely love slow motion, and <laughs> <laughs> so you know you can take that how you you want to. I liked it. There's great action. You you watch superhero movies for action. They had great action. I think Cyborg is really cool. I, I didn't know much about him before this movie. His introduction to me was a big positive for this movie. I think it's well balanced among the main characters. They all kind of justify their inclusion in the conflict, and also just the entire like Snyder cut situation i think is unique and, and fun to talk about the fact that this movie already came out and here it is again so those are all things i liked what about you joy yeah I, I agree with with all of that um it was engaging despite its length i think um the structure was optimal for streaming because it divided up into little chapters um, which made it easy to take breaks and stuff which i thought was was good um there was a climatic ending that really paid off for me uh, and like you said ray fisher's cyborg was really compelling uh, he was definitely one of the best parts of the movie. And I love The Flash, and I love seeing The Flash do Flash stuff. So uh, that was a big uh, pro in my category. Uh, what about cons? What did you not like about this movie? I think this is probably obvious, but it was long, really long. It's <laughs> tough to watch movies that are this long. It's really yes. an involved experience. 
and I just the reason this is a con I think it's also something you can take advantage of having the opportunity to make a movie that's this long but there were definitely parts that I thought were unnecessary and for that I say it's too long and then the other con my other major problem with this movie is the bad guys are boring I didn't care uh, you know kill waves of faceless enemies I, I don't care uh and and uh yeah I'll, I'll talk more about that but it's just it was boring oh what yeah, about yeah. You? what Ste- did you not like Steppenwolf is mad dark side sucks that's how I feel about this um yeah I agree that it's it's longer than it needs to be but I stopped thinking about it as a movie at a certain point and started thinking of it as like a limited series. And that like that reframing really made it a lot more palatable to me. Um, and it, it was actually engaging throughout for me. There was some points where like, wow, this is kind of dragging, but it was not constant. And I was definitely not looking at my watch the whole time, especially not at the end, um, which I have done for movies that are shorter than this. So uh, it's a pretty uh, cookie cutter superhero team up movie. Honestly, this movie is um, uh, like three years too late, four years too late, honestly. Uh, the story is bland. I don't really care about Superman at all. Um, he's not dead for long enough for me to care about him being dead. He's dead for like less than half of a movie in he's, like, he's in a, really like DC a, universe. You right, know what I mean? If you watched until the post credits of Batman v Superman, he's not even dead for the entire that entire movie or you're the end right. of that movie oh because my God, they, they hint right. that he's back because you see the the you know stuff start to levitate around his casket. So he's he like, was never what, like. Dead. What is that supposed to mean? Like he he's, he's not telepathic, but like I guess when he's like taking off from the ground, stuff starts to float. So is he gonna take off from the from the grave? But he doesn't. I, I don't mean, know. It, it's been yeah. so long since I saw that movie. I don't remember exactly what the scene was, but it the heavy implication was he's not really dead. He's coming back. Right, right. He's like dead for a few minutes then. <laughs> um, yeah, overall, it's a pretty forgettable movie. I watched this last week and I've already forgotten large portions of it, <laughs> which is not saying much. All right, well, let me see if I can refresh your memory as we move okay. into our overall section. So the reason i wanted to watch this movie is because of the hype people have been talking about this movie i heard a lot about it and i wanted to have my own opinion that's how we do things around here on affable chat we watch the movies and we form our own opinions we don't just listen to twitter shit posters who just want to get the most (laughs) retweets right so i went into this movie thinking it was going to be a complete mess and i was surprised at how much i enjoyed it put simply i thought it was okay if you can get beyond the fact that this movie has a four hour runtime, then I think you can enjoy this movie like I did. Like you, like it sounds like you did too, Joey. It's a truly novel experience to watch a movie that was recut four years after the original release and then sent straight to HBO Max. That <laughs> I can't think of another time that that's happened. To me, it feels like Zack Snyder was given the green light or green lantern, if you prefer. Oh, (laughs) that's a superhero. (laughs) To make a movie. He was given the green light to make a movie that was as long as he wanted, and he really leaned into that. Of course, there are definitely parts that I think we could have done without. The slow motion Aquaman taking off his shirt sequence, the music sequence comes to mind. I think the movie (laughs) wouldn't have lost a whole lot if he had just started swimming right instead of of having that like yodeling scene (laughs) listen i'm sure there's plenty of people who enjoy that jason momoa is shredded but Mm. could have taken you know i'm saying we already have a long movie here zach we don't we don't need all that Um, (laughs) time's a ticking (laughs) um also the entire wonder woman bomb attack scene can we talk about this portion of the movie for a second okay let's talk about it 
The nice thing about Wonder Woman is that she already has her own movie and Batman v Superman. Okay, <laughs> so we don't need an entire mini conflict in well, this now movie. Well, now two, right? She has two movies now. Well, not at the That's time true. of this. I thought this one coming out, I don't think. Right, but, right. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking in this the idea of like 2017 was supposed to come out, but you're right. right. We, even in the larger context of things, Wonder Woman 1984 is also a movie. So we've got plenty of Wonder Woman. She is not a character that we need to have a lot of time to demonstrate and introduce prior to the action of this movie, okay? Like, we don't need this mini terrorist attack, especially when it has absolutely nothing to do with the central plot. I, I knew something was up when I heard the goon say who they were while she had him in the grip of the lasso of truth. Let's play that clip. The lasso of Hestia compels you to reveal the truth. Now, who are you? We're a small group of reactionary terrorists who want to turn back the clock in Europe a thousand Boring. Years. Why the hostages? We have no demands. We're just stalling the police while we do it. While you do what? <laughs> You're too late. The countdown's already begun. So, uh, do reactionaries call themselves reactionaries? I thought that was when a they're, pejorative. When they're, when they're uh, tied up with the last of, uh, last of truth, they do. Yeah, but like that's like saying, like, who are you? It's like, I'm an idiot. <laughs> like, you, that's how truthful you are, is that you even say things that are derogatory about yourself? Sure. R regardless, regardless. That was just, I don't know, maybe I, I uh, because of the circles I run with, I hear reactionaries more as a pejorative and maybe as neutral. I mean, it is, neutral. but it doesn't mean that you wouldn't describe yourself that way if you were, if you were compelled <laughs> well, to. Well, I guess it, it asks, I mean, for that, if that's the truth to him, it opens up broader questions, which is like, does he even believe in his own, con like, what he's doing here? If he's like, ah, this is, we're just being reactionary, like, he's not even all that bought in. He's just doing it because his friends are doing it. Like, this guy is totally unmotivated. But again, I I'm getting, I'm getting pulled off track here. I'm trying to say <laughs> this being a reactionary is an uninteresting reason to do crime. Even Wonder <laughs> Woman calls it boring. Okay. <laughs> and, and if that wasn't enough, after she dispatches this guy, she runs into the room where the rest of the goons are and we're treated to some of the worst CGI in the entire film. Do you remember that scene from Shrek? where he fights all the knights in Duloc and becomes Lord Farquaad's champion. Where yes, he, of course. He, has, he like fights all the different like knights in armor. That's the scene that came rushing into my mind as I watched Wonder <laughs> Woman throw punches that turned these reactionary goons into CGI ragdolls. It was so obviously fake that it completely shattered the immersion. And if and the thing is, the fake part was their ragdoll bodies, not mm -hmm. Wonder Woman dashing around at super speed. That looked good. But as soon as they left, as soon as her fists made contact with them, they may have well, they may as well have been a knight of Duloc, the, uh, as, as I mean, far as I was concerned. The whole movie kind of had a weird tint to it. Like, it definitely didn't, does, like, the CGI did not seem like it stood up that well, honestly. And, like, it kind of has that same, I don't know, Zack Snyder, like, you know, like glens to yes. it where everything like 300 where, where it's like almost rotoscoped where like everyone's mm -hmm. like there's this the saturation is turned up or like the it's so high or whatever that like you can see all these details and it makes it look fake even though it like it's pasted onto actors so like it's a uh, i don't know i feel like i got I that feeling from a lot of scenes where it was like this is so clearly a green screen but like at a certain point you're just like well that whole movie's like this so you kind of have to get through it well i think Different parts are easier, or various parts retain the immersion better than others. And I think right. this one was 
particularly bad. I know exactly what you're talking about, though. It is a very Snyder core feel. I felt like that kind of level of CGI worked better in something like Sucker Punch than it does here, where you could have easily done this. Like for instance, this movie's rated R. Why is she not punching through them? Why is why is not a hole not forming? Because in these then guys? she's like, you know, it's too violent. She's not a violent person. She just how is she people. not a violent person? She just punches people. She doesn't she doesn't necessarily fair, kill fair. them you're except right, for right. when she's I, you know off off camera and the, uh, you know yeah. and it's justified because they're reactionary terrorists who have no goals. Uh, right, and and here's the thing. I that's a larger criticism I have for this movie. I don't feel like it utilized the R rating as much as it could have. That being said, it is a recut of a originally rated PG thirteen movie. So I don't I don't think that's really fair to to criticize them that much on that. Um, as much as I would have enjoyed to have that aspect of it, like kind of a mortal combat type feel to this, but th that's besides the point. That's not the end of like the uh, like unnecessary portions of this scene, because then <laughs> <laughs> we get this totally unnecessary bullet blocking sequence when we know Diana is fast enough to just dash up to the guy and stop him from shooting. Instead, we get this bo blocking 30 bullets in a row sequence to like, it is very heroic. She I like that a lot. I thought one. it was really cool. And but she she just dashed in to, towards all okay. these other guys who had guns, right? Whatever, man. Like if you're gonna say like, oh, the superhero should have done this, like that's like the that's everything. You know, listen, what I mean? you're right, you're right. But listen, I'm not done. One more thing that <laughs> made the scene make no sense. She finishes that guy off, the guy who just got to unload an entire clip, even though she could have yeah. stopped him after one bullet. She finishes him off with a gauntlet blast that destroys a huge portion of the building that they're in and showers the police below with debris. Who is the real terrorist here, Wonder Woman? <laughs> like, the whole thing they set out to do was cause an explosion, and they didn't even have to do that. Wonder Woman did it for them. Yeah, that that especially seems weird, uh, considering how much I feel like this movie goes out of its way to not do that. Like, the very last epic fight happens in like an abandoned city so you get kind of like that feel of like oh it's in a city it's like very exciting because there's lots of buildings and stuff that can fall down interesting environment right lots of collapsible stuff but there's no cost there right because it's already abandoned everything's already torn down and everything nobody lives there it's it's like radioactive or something which feels like a direct um like response to the unnecessary amount of destruction in both Batman v Superman and in Man of Steel, which was so over the top to become like cartoonish. And like now at this point, Zack Snyder's like, okay, well maybe there's a way I could write a story where I don't end up destroying an entire city um, and costing trillions of dollars and how many like lives or whatever, like just from the fact that like this battle is happening. Right. And of course that's like, undone in the theatrical version of the movie where they actually have like citizens inside of the city that they have to save as well which is you know a whole other thing but well it, it defeats yeah I, I read about that and some of the differences and i read somebody on i think vulture made a good point they're like they're already fighting for the sake of all existence like saving a, a, yeah. a family from the conflict isn't really that big of a deal in the big scheme of things because they're fighting to stop someone from destroying earth okay right. so Anyways, just to finish the criticism of that scene of, I know it sounds like I'm popping off at Wonder Woman. I like Wonder Woman. I think she's a great superhero. Uh, but I just think this scene was wholly unnecessary. And even if it was only unnecessary, it's full of other things that I don't like, which made me really <laughs> not like this scene. Um, anyways, back to what I was saying. Zack Snyder obviously had a lot of freedom to do what he wanted, and he Snydered it up, okay? The 
amount of slow motion in this movie is unrivaled unless you're rivaling it against another Zack Snyder movie in which case <laughs> it's pretty much the same amount uh, and for the most part I really enjoyed that uh, like I felt like the superhero or sorry Superman slow motion yelling at the beginning of the movie was a little bit odd but I really liked the flash super slow-mo sequences. The, oh, yeah. Uh, like, I'm such... A, and I, it's not just Flash, although Flash is awesome. It's any superhero who's speed, who has super speed. So also Quicksilver from the Fox uh, X-Men movies. This kind of sequence is just so cool. I never get tired of it. Absolutely. Yeah, the Flash is so freaking cool. I love all the stuff that he does. And, I, and like, he's so cinematic for that reason because he can always... Cause he, takes a scene that's already interesting and changes the way it looks and everything and gives you a whole new perspective. I just love the idea of like he's just that he's just so unbelievably fast that you just you don't even see him move sometimes. Like he just disappears. But yeah, I mean going back to what you were saying about like taking his time, right? I like this movie they gave Zack Snyder unlimited time to make it basically. You can do and when you can do when you do that uh, you can do things like develop all your characters, including your villains. And you can spend a ton of time on elaborate action set pieces. Um, and like in other movies, you have to sacrifice one for the other. But Zack Snyder is the director who likes to have his cake and eat it too. And sometimes that works out and sometimes it doesn't. I feel like in this movie it does. I like that scene with Wonder Woman, like even though it is totally unnecessary. You can say the exact same thing about that Flash introduction scene, even though like you're you're making the argument that Wonder Woman's already been introduced a couple times, so thank you. I, I that is my that is the, an important distinction that I will right. make. I think there is a case to be made that if you want to make this movie totally uh, consumable standalone, and what better opportunity to do that than with unlimited runtime? I think that's fair. But it's like it's just an action scene, like that. There's no like going into her backstory. It's not saying where she came from or why she's here or why she's not with the other Amazons or anything. They don't bother to explain all of that stuff. They've already done that. They're just showing you, okay, remember Wonder Woman's in here and she's awesome. Don't forget that. Because again, like you have to think about like action uh, and like how action is telegraphed. You have to establish a certain amount of stakes uh, in order for you to show how powerful your heroes are. Something that this movie never does, which I think is to its detriment, is show just how terrifying the parademons are to uh, individual people, right? Have some, like, cops trying to fight Moth and, like, the bullets don't work or they just tears them apart or something. It's like, they're super strong and super vicious or something. And then you put that up against, you say, oh, now there's a thousand of them. Oh, and now they're fighting Wonder Woman. And Wonder Woman's fighting Moth easily. Like, oh, wow, she's so strong compared to this other guy who I saw who wasn't as strong. And I can calculate how strong she is. This is a scene that does that. It calibrates uh, Wonder Woman's strength against our other heroes um, by showing, you know, you know where she is in that kind of hierarchy against reactionary terrorists who you can accurately estimate their their uh, <laughs> their abilities, I guess. Yeah, bring me something I'm familiar with. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so, okay. You know, I I don't know. I, I that's the thing is like this movie is going to be long. Right. So he may as well make it interesting in some ways. I feel like he does a pretty good job of like taking the the time that he's given to do everything that you would want to do as a director. You know, sure. I feel like that's the thing that's that's always in the like the background that we never really hear a lot about is directors are always like, oh, I wish this movie was longer. I want my the director's cut is always longer, always has more detail. And then the studio came in and said, ain't no way we can't do it that way. We need to cut it down. Um, but it's always like the director always has a grander vision for this and for that to actually come to fruition in this is pretty rare. Um, and for that reason, it's kind of special.
Yeah, no, it's one of my favorite things about movies is that is they're insanely collaborative. And that can be to its uh, benefit when you are able to have great producers and, uh, you know, somebody, composers, actors, you know, you can bring all these talents to the table, but then you also have collaboration to your own detriment where the studio says, no, nah, you can't have that. Or, Too many cooks. You know, so, exactly. So... But I guess just to, to push back a little bit, I think that your idea of having Wonder Woman do something against the parademons and show that she's powerful, more powerful than humans in that way, at least is connected somewhat to the central plot. This just felt like it was a, this could have been some sort of like teaser scene that came out before the movie or, or something like that. Like it just seems so disconnected from the rest of the plot. Um, but I don't know, maybe I'm being a little bit of a wet blanket. No, by, I think uh, it makes sense. That. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I do want to agree with you saying that like the action was great. I, I genuinely like it was the, uh, you know, the reason, the core reason why I loved watching superhero movies is to watch superheroes do badass stuff. And like the scene where they fight Steppenwolf to rescue Dr. Stone, where they end up getting flooded at the end. That scene was awesome. We got to see all the different superhero badassery. Uh, and then also the this finale scene was also really cool and uh so i i think it's just good fun well ex executed action and and I, you gotta have that from a superhero movie i don't know that's here's the thing though i feel like it's it's uh it's, it's overstated as welcome at this point like this would be really cool back in 2017 maybe but now after the avengers has concluded and we've had all these different uh like epic like world ending fights and stuff come together um in both the uh, infinity war and then in um end game right like the, uh, the those have become like the epitome of superhero fights and stuff and this movie does not up that ante it, it it barely ups the ante from this from the uh superhero fight at the end of batman v superman um which is has a whole bunch of different scenes and stuff and, and one of the scenes that people love is that scene where batman comes in and beats up a bunch of guys near the end of the movie which you don't really get a uh uh, you don't really get a lot of Batman centric uh, action in this. He's kind of uh, relegated to the to the sidelines as the more powerful heroes are taking up most of the direct action. Right. So I, I uh, will. I will. Um, I totally agree with what you're saying, but I will throw Batman a bone for all the grappling hook action. We got. I a lot I saw, of as soon as I saw that hook grappling hook, I was like, "Oh, Benjamin's gonna love this. So much grappling <laughs> hook." Yes, so his <laughs> greatest superpower besides being rich is grappling hook. It is. It is though. That's the thing. Is it's so accurate. It's um. We we know this from all the episodes we've done on Batman movies that his we joke that his superpower is being rich and that does a lot of his benefit that is to his benefit in a lot of cases but his real supernatural ability is his uh, ability to manipulate grappling hooks and he does it like more than a couple of times in this movie oh, yeah. so which is oh that is probably the best <laughs> of Batfleck right there uh, which honestly I'm not a big Batfleck guy so I I think that's as positive as you're gonna get from me. Uh, when it comes to him but okay i think you're you're getting to something a little bit larger here which is you can't have the dceu without like the automatic comparison to the mcu and and i think you're exactly right this movie is way too late there's you can't do an epic superhero team-up movie anymore because it's been done to such a degree that it's almost undoable again it's it's trite at this point it's like it's too soon and too late it's both of those things you know yeah. and 
like it's not as if these heroes are that much different from each other you know what i mean super like wonder woman and aquaman have very similar powers when they're on land you know it's a, it's not all that different or interesting superman is kind of the same way he's you know built up to be more powerful and stuff but honestly as soon as he shows up everything gets boring that's always how it is he is he is the worst superhero um and the worst part of this movie as well uh, the Flash, I think, in Cyborg, I think, add a certain element of like interestingness to it. Cyborg, unfortunately, by his very nature, is just kind of like hacker man, you know, and like he has the same powers as every hacker in every heist movie, which is like, like, uh, oh, it's like a security system. Uh, <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> Sorry, I just screwed up our script. Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> well, hold on, hold on. Let me pump the brakes a little bit, okay? Because I do want to talk about the like the characters in general. Because, like I like I said earlier, I felt like we got a healthy amount of each of our main characters, and everyone's inclusion felt justified, which I think is a good thing. It justified, always, yeah. <laughs> capital J, justified. <laughs> um, it helps that four of our six justice league heroes already have their own movies to prop up their backstories uh, but this movie is still enjoyable for newcomers as well because of the time spent introdu introducing flash and it, even more so introducing cyborg i do feel like i missed out on some fan service because i haven't seen aquaman or some of the superman movies but it, it didn't feel like that took too much away from my ability to understand this I'm movie pretty sure aquaman came out after this movie too so it's not like you would I don't think like anything had been established at that point, but I, I'm okay. Not sure. Well, I, I'll admit when Willem Dafoe uh, started yeah. talking about uh, that stuff, I was like, I have no idea what this guy's talking about. <laughs> so I just assumed that there, uh, like, there was common knowledge, but maybe I just wasn't comprehending it as well. I was too distracted by how epic he looked as an underwater guy. How much he looks like Dennis Leary? How much? Yeah, I was like, is this Dennis Leary or Willem Dafoe? <laughs> I, I just can't. Tell. It's hard to see underwater. <laughs> yeah, I had chlorine in my eyes, but. Uh, but anyways, I do want to praise the like, cyborg in general, okay? I knew who cyborg was from Teen Titans, but I never learned anything about the real cyborg, which I guess would just be adult cyborg. Although I've been told that this isn't his canonical origin story, that they, they changed it for Justice League for the DCEU. I really liked the way that he was shown or portrayed. Like his backstory is good. I'm I'm glad that it's fleshed out and he gets all this opportunity to be introduced in this movie. Like at first he gets in trouble for hacking into the school system to change a disadvantaged girl's grades, which is foreshadowing. Then he balls on Wisconsin. Like it goes a little bit closer to home because I'm such a football weeb uh, that he actually plays against the real University of Wisconsin. He breaks a tackle, like it breaks a sack. Then he hurdles another tackler, breaks two tackles, and then an additional tackle before diving for the pylon to get GCU the comeback win. Okay? Then, if that wasn't enough, we get the most melodramatic empty chair reveal of all time to show that his dad missed the game. I mean, it was so, uh, like, just melodrama turned up to a thousand with, like, everyone's happy, but then dramatic camera pants, slow motion pan to empty chair, and his reaction was like, no, no, like, my but dad's dad didn't here. see it. Does it mean anything if dad didn't see it? Yeah, like, were they even broadcasting this college football game against Wisconsin? And, uh, which I thought was hilarious 
just a laugh out loud moment for me, uh, but also effective for telling the story, I think, in a, an abbreviated sense. Then a car wreck kills mom and him. And then dad turns him into cyborg. And this is where I especially like his backstory using the powers of the mother box, which means he's made out of technology that in the movie they say is so advanced that it is basically magic. And this is the kind of power that puts him on par with the rest of the Justice League. And to me, this is important because if he was made out of human tech, then he like he wouldn't be so overpowered. He wouldn't be on par with them. It's a it's a great. Yeah, answer he'd be to- constantly having to upgrade, you know, every <laughs> every two years and getting new like limbs and stuff. And like he would like, have to get blue screens and like have to crash all the time. And it like constantly be rebooting because he, he can't process information very well. He you know, likely like, has yeah. like a big like uh, Xbox logo on his front. <laughs> yeah, he would be <laughs> cyborg by Microsoft. Right. He would be programmed <laughs> to stop working after two years so that they have to buy a new one. Exactly. <laughs> he so right. Like it's a great way to avoid that because. If he was built by humans, then why is he the singular most powerful machine on the planet? Is like, are you supposed to say it's like, whoa, he was also a genius. So his genius plus machine equals best machine ever? I don't think so. So I, I liked that. I liked that they used the mother boxes for that. It kind of felt like vision from uh, Avengers, where he used one of the infinity stones to create vision. So he's like got that otherworldly power, which builds up, I think, him and the mother box. Um, yeah. So I mean, that's I, an interesting yeah. way to write your character is to tie him directly to the elements inside of the story. You know, the mother boxes are largely just like, you know, big, scary boxes. I mean, they're, they might as well have had a J.J. Abrams direct this because they have these big boxes that have mysteries inside of them. One of them should have been an Xbox. Like, one of them should have had, an, like, they should have been branded. Like, they're I like, thought of Transformers when I was watching Yeah, they're like the, the cube or whatever. It's yeah. Like, it transforms into, like, uh, something, like, it transforms into a common Earth object. It's like a router or, like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. That, I mean, that's the thing. Like, so to have him tied to that directly makes the whole story more interesting. Oh yeah, um, oh yeah, and, big time. Yeah, and, and it also, like you said, it, it reinforces the plot. It makes sense that he can interface with them. It makes sense that he's on the same level as these other heroes. His his powers are really kind of mysterious, but you don't ever have to actually explain them because you already said that it's kind of magic. Yeah, it's it's a good way to like have a character like that i think yeah and in the whole movie i feel like it, it works for cyborg he has like a really solid arc that involves his relationship with his dad and coming to terms with the body that he now inhabits that he initially really hates um it i mean he was my favorite character in this film and honestly you could call this movie justice league rise of cyborg because his arc is much more interesting than the central plot in my opinion and um i don't know maybe that's going a bit far but he's at least more interesting than our antagonist, which brings us <laughs> to Steppenwolf, okay? And my initial reaction to Steppenwolf, and it didn't change after this, but th- my initial reaction was he m- he may as well have been Cole Obsidian from Avengers. You remember Cole Obsidian from Avengers, right? No? Yeah, that's um, exactly. Uh, <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> I knew you were going to follow this. I was trying to think of who it was. He's one of the children of Thanos. Um, he fights oh, Doctor yeah, Strange yeah, yeah. and Iron Man. They, I mean, I don't even know if they say the words call Obsidian in any He's of the like movies. He's like the magic guy. He's like, no, a, no, no, or like the, the telekinesis guy or something. No, no, no. That's um, a different guy. 
uh, I'm, t- I'm talking about exactly the, I, I, this further amplifies the point I'm making, but he's oh. the guy who fights, uh, Hulk and, uh, well, it's not even Hulk. It's Bruce Banner who can't turn into Hulk and Dr. Strange and Iron Man in New York. When Is he the big guy or the, or the, the, or the little guy? He, the he literally guy. looks like Steppenwolf. Like they have the same build where it kind of larger upper body. And okay. they're both kind of just indestructible. They can get hit with anything, and they're just bounce right back. Um, and that's that's essentially who he is. He's insanely durable. That's about it. And his motivation was redemption, which I think is better than nothing, better than mm-hmm. just saying he wants to kill everybody. But he serves a master who wants to control all life and all will in existence, and that's just too big of a goal for me to even conceptualize. Like, listen to listen to this guy. I have turned 100,000 worlds to dust, looking for anti-life, looking for those who robbed me of my glory. I will stride across their bones and bask in the glow of anti-life, and all of existence shall be mine. All of existence? Like, what does this guy have against free will? Why does he want all that responsibility? <laughs> what is there even left to do if you control literally everything and everyone? What's the underlying ideology that makes him evil instead of good? Maybe him doing this would be a, a good thing. I don't know. We never dig into that. When you have such a mighty force of heroes, you need an equally mighty foe. So I understand the temptation to make somebody with the power of just total annihilation but it's boring at no point am i tempted to empathize with the bad guys i can't because i favor the idea of existence sue me yeah you know here's the thing okay this movie would be so much better if steppenwolf was actually able to beat the justice league without superman and the justice league wins anywhere anyway like they have to be more clever sacrifice more or just get lucky that's like real tension you know, when he's up there and uh, he's about to hit, he's just beat back um, Wonder Woman and Aquaman. And he's about to attack Cyborg and Cyborg is like tied up with the mother boxes. Flash has been shot. So, you know, he's not going to be able to make it in time. And Seven Wolf's like circling there. It's like he's getting ready with his axe. I'm like, I was on the edge of my seat. I was yelling at my TV. I was like, do something, do something. He's right behind you. He's going to get you. <laughs> Like that's like real. That's that feels like real tension throughout the movie. You kind of build up. They built up Steppenwolf as, like you said, very durable in in things. And he's got that big axe, and he seems like he's pretty knowledgeable in combat or whatever. Um, but they still like beat him back. You know, like they still hit him a few times, and he's still not ready for all their attacks. So it feels like they kind of have a shot, but it's kind of a, a distant shot. Having um, kind of as soon as Superman arrives, then the whole thing is ruined. You know, but uh, like him by himself would be an interesting enough villain simply because he is a good foil for our heroes like he can take on all of them and he's tough to beat you know he's not all that interesting of a character he kind of looks interesting uh but he's you know other than that like i feel like there's an opportunity there for to make this kind of a really tense movie where there's a lot on the line um if you have if you like let the that kind of situation play out uh, which, of course, they, they don't do. Well, am I wrong for asking for motivation? Like, I, I understand, like, redemption in the eyes of Darkseid is pretty good. It's almost there. But yeah. who cares? What is it? Is Darkseid going to kill you if you don't redeem yourself? Like, what? Like I don't understand what Darkseid's motivation is besides just total and complete control of the galaxy, which is right, just right. 
what are you, Emperor Zerg? Like, give me more than that. <laughs> well, he's, I mean, okay, here's the thing. Like, if they were focused more on Steppenwolf and, like, built him up more as a character, even if they had Darkseid as kind of something else, but, like, just reference, uh, and he, like, just talked to Desaad or whoever, and uh, and Steppenwolf was going through some sort of crisis of himself and, like, trying to figure out how to get through this or whatever, I feel like that could be interesting. Bringing Darkseid in, I agree, doesn't benefit the story much all it does is say oh there's more out there which is annoying and i think right, dark side now sucks. we're building to something else right yes dark which side, may never happen yes well dark side does suck okay because he's built up to be like the like the ultimate enemy he's yes. the thanos of the dceu and yep. it, again this goes back to the it's impossible for this movie to stand on its own two legs it's always going to be compared to the mcu it's difficult not to but then they have the flashback exposition which is an absolute blast of exposition it is like listen i'm gonna <laughs> tell you everything and and it shows us that dark side has been defeated in the past and we can expect a similar result if we just have a, a a team up and we'll be able to defeat him again there's nothing to fear so right. he's not even that compelling of a big time villain either yeah i think it's so annoying that they're like earth is the only planet that dark side lost and now dark side doesn't know where earth is you know like <laughs> i was like, drunk when i tried to invade Earth. that's why I lost. yeah i was drunk and i wasn't i didn't really mean it I just woke up. I was like, what is this gash? My, my shoulder is killing me. What happened last night? <laughs> what oh, we're trying to invade Earth. What? Oh, what? man. I, was, I need to, I need to yeah, stop I drinking. Yeah, I need to play off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay. Dark Side sucks. I, he's, like, he's one of the Justice League's most famous big bads. I've seen him show up in a couple other like Justice League uh, things. Um, but he's basically just a big mean dude with laser eyes. You kind of see it in one of like the dreams that uh, Superman has, but like his whole thing is he can like shoot lasers out of his eyes that like bend around objects. So like it can follow you around or something and he can like do all sorts of stuff, which is kind of a cool thing, but it's like, it's like you really have to suspend disbelief because then everyone's like blocking light essentially or running away from light, um, which is again, not really possible so i don't yeah. really know what to make of that exactly unless they're well, actual projectiles in which case why they look like lasers i don't well, know well that um that scene you're referring to happens when cyborg gets a premonition right. right before they bring superman back because there's there's two like future visions that i can think of which is one's the epilogue and then the other one is cyborg's premonition when right before they bring superman back and he says no and then flash is like did you say go <laughs> but <laughs> what was that premonition what does that mean because when i first saw that i was like oh my gosh this is this is first off it's this is literally tony stark in avengers for seeing thanos killing all of them yeah uh, which happens by the way spoiler alert um that thanos actually does kill the avengers so i was like oh okay so dark side's gonna win so dark side is going to do something like that but then that doesn't necessarily happen maybe it happens in a future movie but does that even matter anymore is that is this next movie going to come out it just felt like know. a needless distraction or a cheap way to build uh you know anticipation by being like look everyone's going to die in this movie and then it just doesn't come back to that i mean it, you're, yeah exactly i mean it's just there's no answer to that question it's it's the classic problem that every movie uh since the avengers has which is that 
they want to be the Avengers and they want to be the MCU. So they're going to put in all these little Easter eggs and all the fans are going to be like, oh, I love that this is in here. You know, the only people excited to see Darkseid are DC fanboys who are just projecting other stories that use Darkseid well. This is not using, they're not using Darkseid well. Nor like in the in the comics, I think, and in the Justice League cartoon, he's like kind of purple and blue. He's, he looks more like a robot. I always thought he was kind of a, like a robot, I think. But uh, this one, he's just kind of a big gray thumb. Like he, he's so bland and uninteresting. At least like Thanos is purple, you know, and voiced by Josh Brolin. Like he's got some sort yeah. of char- charisma to him. Darkseid okay, is just like and, a big uh, a big gray dude. Like he's not interesting. Uh, he's totally bland and he's, he's totally unnecessary to the story. Um, he's, he, he gives some motivation to Steppenwolf, but not enough to make Steppenwolf, uh, interesting. Right. Um, and all he is, is just a, a tease for something that may never happen. And at least just comparing him to Thanos, at least Thanos has a somewhat compelling motivation where there's actually something to think about when it comes to why is Thanos so set in right. what he's well, doing. That's the, that's what was so cool about Avengers, uh, Infinity War, right? We've already had a bunch of superhero team-up movies, some superheroes fighting each other movies. You know, we've done all the combinations. Now, let's have a story where the villain is the protagonist, right? We follow Thanos to understand why he does what he does, talk about his backstory. He explains over and over again why he's doing what he's, what he's doing, and he wins in the end, um, which is detrimental to all of the characters we care about and everything. But again, like, you understand why he's doing it, right? And again, that's why this movie is so dated now, because it doesn't bring, we've moved past the point where we can have bland villains, right? Now we are in the, the age where we have, ah, shoot, what's his name in uh, Black Panther? Black Panther's a... Uh... Oh, oh, man, Michael B. Jordan. Yes. Uh, we have villains like uh, Michael B. Jordan in Black Panther. We have villains like Thanos, right? We have... Other uh, villains, I'm sure I can think of, I uh, can't think of the top of my head, that are like, compelling. They have reasons for what they're doing and think that they are right. You know what I mean? Whereas this is like a classic, I'm going to conquer the galaxy because it's there type thing, which makes the whole thing way more uh, just boring. Because again, we've moved past this as a audience of, of this sort of thing, you know? Imagine being a DCEU fan, but not watching any of the Marvel movies. <laughs> You're like, wow, this is actually really novel. This is so, so different. Um, also, yeah. Killmonger is his name, but I, I did have to Google it. I didn't just remember it. Uh, but you're so right. And it's it's really, it's a huge part that's missing from this movie is just a worthy nemesis to go up against. It's it's just, it's severely lacking. Um, so, yeah, and like yeah. I, I, I feel like it's hard I don't want to be like, oh, well, this movie isn't as good as the Marvel movies, so therefore it's bad. Like, that's not what I'm trying to say. Right, what I'm trying right. to say is, like, we already have a formula that, that works. Like, we already have a, a bunch of stuff that works and works really well for a very specific set of reasons, right? This movie tries to do that same thing and doesn't do it nearly as well and therefore fails in its goal and then fails on its own merits because it's not even trying to be its own thing. Um, if it was, like, trying to say, okay, you know, even if they had some sort of cheeky line that was like, oh, like, you know, we don't dress up in colorful costumes and uh, fight purple guys or something, you know, something like cheeky to say, like, we're not Marvel or something like that would somewhat separate it from this other thing that's so similar to it that it's clearly trying to be. But that's not what's happening. 
What's it, what it's trying to do is trying to capitalize on the idea of a cinematic universe without doing any of the work it requires a cinematic universe. So, <laughs> yeah, I just don't really have a lot of sympathy for that take, I guess. I, I feel like this movie is trying to do something and it doesn't do a very good job doing that. Fair enough. Um, well, what did you think? This is kind of switching gears, but what did you think of the 4-3 aspect ratio? Do you, so do you know why that was? I mean, it was Zack Snyder's vision. They wanted to preserve his vision, but that's, okay. I don't know any beyond that. <laughs> so apparently IMAX is it filmed in a ratio that's very close to 4.3. I, oh. I looked it up and I don't know what the exact number is. It's like 1.37 or maybe 1.33 I think it's or something. four basketball courts by three basketball courts. I think Thank you. The... Uh, uh... <laughs> <laughs> that's how I always hear it described. <laughs> yeah, in, in documentaries. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so it's, a. Uh, if you look at there's, I've seen a couple of comparisons, uh, like screenshots between, uh, the theatrical version of this movie and Zack Snyder's, uh, justice league. And, uh, it's the same shot, but zoomed in slightly to cut off those bars. And, uh, it's because IMAX captures a lot of information and a lot of times they will end up, uh, changing the, they'll end up just. Uh, changing the aspect ratio of the original film to fit the aspect ratio of the old movie. Apparently, I didn't know this, but Batman v Superman actually changes uh, aspect ratios throughout the film to accommodate the the parts that were filmed in IMAX and parts that were filmed in standard. Um, but this movie, I think, was filmed almost completely in uh, in IMAX, and so in order to preserve that uh, and preserve the maximum number of pixels, they shot it in four three and released it on a streaming website. Okay. Wow. <laughs> so, um, I'm glad doesn't you doesn't undercut that. that at all, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, because at f when I started watching the movie at first, I thought I had accidentally purchased HBO min instead of HBO <laughs> max. Like, <laughs> HBO max is like a little too rich for my blood. So <laughs> it wasn't beyond me to think that just $15 wasn't enough to get the full experience. <laughs> so they water it down to four, three aspect ratio. And they tell me if you want to leave your poorness behind and get the real shit, you can give us some more money. HBO uh, mid. <laughs> but a quick google search revealed that that wasn't the case and so you know it was fine after that i thought my me my mind immediately went to grand budapest hotel and i was thinking oh this is clearly going to be something that changes throughout the movie it's four three aspect ratio right now but like maybe when superman comes back to life boom the full image is there and mm, everything is yeah, clearer yeah, yeah. and more hopeful or something uh but it wasn't that either obviously you just explained what it really was um honestly i stopped noticing it after just a short while and i thought it was fine like it was yeah i i thought one idea i had was like oh he wants it to look more like a comic book panel which Ooh. is more square but that's not even true because comic book <laughs> panels change shape sometimes they're not even sometimes they're like spiky and, and not even square so right. or even rectangular so um i don't know the other thing that was like because one of the things i heard about the Zack snyder cut and i didn't hear this that much but i heard saw it on twitter people talking about how it was kind of avant-garde where like Zack Snyder is willing to take risks that other superhero di directors aren't and he steps outside the the realm of normal directing and some people their minds just aren't advanced enough to uh, accept the the critical vision of Zack Snyder and really what that equates to is he made a version that was in black and white which oh right right I did hear about that too justice yes. is gray cut which is to my as far as i could tell is the same exact movie it's just in black and white 
it's the same exact movie, but the like saturation is just turned down lower than it was in this movie. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which um, I, I didn't even realize that until I'd already watched the whole movie and I wasn't going to rewatch it just to see it in black and white. So uh, it kind of felt like an unnecessary thing to have. But there you have it. That is, I guess, pretty avant-garde to, to have the gall to think that someone would watch your four-hour movie in black and white. Your four-hour, like, superhero movie in black and white. You know what I mean? It, like, I feel like the black and white thing, like, is, a, is reserved for, like a, like, a certain time, maybe. Like, you're portraying things in a certain way. Um, or, like, a certain, uh, like, I don't know, adherence to, um, like, uh, characters more so than, like, visuals, I guess. Uh, but, like, mm -hmm. yeah. the whole point of this is to show you, like, flashy explosions and stuff, which is totally muted uh like pun intended by the black and white so <laughs> well I, like i i think if i had seen this movie in black and white initially like if i was trying to dive as deep into the Zack snyder vision as possible the first few minutes probably would have had me convinced that this is gonna be some avant-garde like shit because sure. it has like slow motion oh like in like this is some wacky shit this doesn't look like anything i've seen before this is weird but then <laughs> once you start getting like beyond that scene it, it's a pretty normal superhero movie type thing besides all the excessive slow motion but anyways we're, we're, I, I know that the last like 35 minutes have been us totally shredding this movie <laughs> overall i i think the snyder cut is a really interesting situation in filmmaking to have a director leave a project and then come back four years later after it's already been released and subsequently hated and have him take full control and make it into whatever he wants is really cool to witness. And um, I mean, it makes me wonder what this movie would have been like if this is the movie that came out in 2017. Sure. How would that have changed the superhero movie landscape? Because that was before Infinity War. That was before Endgame. So, you know. These are all questions we can ask. Obviously, it's, it's just a topic for discussion, but I do like having those discussions. Um, and I mean, this, this is definitely not the best movie I've ever seen, but it's fun to talk about. It is a lot of fun to talk about. Um, I mean, it's it's interesting. The The history of the movie is interesting. Um, and I kind of want to get into that now, if you're, if you're ready. Uh, but I have so much I want to just... Okay, can I just do one thing? Can I just <laughs> yes, say one thing? Yes, go ahead, go ahead. Sexy Alfred, dude. This is not a... <laughs> you don't love Jeremy a, Irons? Jeremy Irons is fine, but not to play Alfred. I don't want sexy Alfred because I, I just get so tired of having sexy Batman and sexy Alfred being sexy together, talking about stuff when it like disrupts the uh, relationship that I understand between uh, Batman and Alfred. Yeah, That's, it's really weird. I mean, they like, hold on. I'm going to look up how, how, how old they are. Um, he was born in uh, 1948. Alfred or Jeremy Irons? Jeremy Irons. <laughs> Alfred's probably born before that. Um, ben Affleck was born in 1972. So, is he really that old? There's no way he's that old, right? Yeah, it seems a little old to me. 19, he's 72 years old. He's 72. He's wow. almost as old as the president. Well, then he definitely fits into the character of Alfred from an age perspective, but he's still too sexy. But hold on, okay. Now now you got me going. I'm going to rapid fire a few more observations, okay? DC alter egos have have are absolute savages. Clark Kent and Diana look exactly like 
uh, they're superheroes. Like they, they look just like Wonder Woman and, and Superman. There's they they show their ass out in public and no one knows who they are, which is so ridiculous. Okay. Another thing, Amy Adams has to be commended for a great job of looking sad for basically the entire movie. That's all she does is we cut to her lowest uh, line. I feel so bad sad. for Amy Adams. Yeah, she definitely th- this movie did not do her any favors. Um, Stefan Wolf's dome looks like half of a testicle coming out of the ground. <laughs> it looks ridiculous. It's, it's veiny. Don't tell me it doesn't look like half of a testicle. I thought you were talking about his head. I was talking about his head. I was like, what's wrong with your testicles? <laughs> no, not his head. His dome. His, um, his fortress. Or they call it, they actually call it a base a lot of times. Even when they don't even know what it is. They're like, we have to find his base, which is like, what are you, 12 years old and playing like <laughs> Ra- Raised on Call of Duty, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to slow down though. Um, why does Superman always have to sometimes be bad? I mean, we talked about this is like exhausting. Because he's Superman's the most boring kid superhero ever. But Superman's the time. worst superhero. Superman like- is the worst superhero. Here's why Superman's the worst superhero, okay? Um, he, like, this is kind of the epitome of superhero stories, Superman stories in a way. He originally, originally like, I've heard this story over and over again. He had very basic powers. Like he was really strong and uh, like really fast or something. And then they kept like every week they would have a new villain and then they, he would fight that guy. And then that guy would come up with some sort of contraption or something. And Superman would have to come up with a new power that he would have. And by the end, he just had all of these powers all of a sudden and they didn't know what to do. And they wrote themselves completely into a corner. And then they tried to introduce him to other things and never fix the fundamental flaw with him, which is that he's just too powerful. And so any Superman story has to be about how he has to wrestle with that power. And if he just shows up and is like nice all the time, which he basically is how he's written, then every situation is completely solved because he is like literally the deus in deus ex machina. Like that's, he is the definition of it. And so he just shows up to solve problems uh, constantly. Um, And that makes him more boring than I think people really conceptualize. Yeah, I, I I think that's definitely fair. I, I'm just even the limited exposure I've had to Superman, which is basically just Batman v Superman and this movie. It's like it's in Batman v Superman. What if Superman fought the superheroes? Okay, next movie. What if Superman fought the superheroes? Have you considered <laughs> Superman fighting the superheroes instead of the bad guy? Wouldn't oh. that be interesting? Yeah, well, we have. It's been almost like oh, two hours of runtime since we did that. So let's, <laughs> let's do that. Um, okay, and then I, I just want to finish up these last few observations. Uh, I guess this is my last one. They Stephen Wolf's base is in a ghost city not far from Moscow. Once again, this movie suffers from like I guess this is specific to the the Snyder cut, but it suffers from coming out this late because now that's the same place where Tenet takes place. Like literally the same level of seclusion. Here's the the other connection to Tenet that I made. The anti-life equation. It's like some sort of like rune that's written on the thing. I feel like Zack Snyder, well, Zack Snyder and and Christopher Nolan know each other. They're like, they're friends in like Christopher Nolan produces some of these DCU movies. Um, So, I feel like neither of them understand what algorithms or equations are. They think that they're like like physical devices that you can use to destroy things. That's hilarious. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. I'm fine with that. That's good. Uh, let's move on to our cool Easter eggs. What do you got? Okay. So 
the history of this of this movie is very interesting. It is more interesting than the story we saw on screen, I think. And I want to give you a trigger warning for suicide. I want to talk about the events that led to this movie being released the way it was. So this is not a complete timeline. Uh, there is a really good Vanity Flare article that I kind of skimmed through and a couple of other articles I read uh, that I recommend you check out. That's very interesting. So in May 2017, Zack Snyder steps down from making the Justice League because his daughter commits suicide. Uh, she was credited at the end of the movie. It says for Autumn. That is reference to her. Um, it is, it's really tragic. Um, and, and he took off a lot of time to, to grieve, which was the right thing to do. And I think everyone agrees with that. Um, so then they brought in Joss Whedon, who directed the first two Avengers movie, uh, to, to finish the movie up. Um, he was actually currently working on Batgirl when they asked him to take it over. So he's pretty familiar with the DC universe, too. Apparently, Whedon is a real dick and is really un like was really unprofessional and abusive to his actors. And there's this uh, thing that just came out a couple days ago, a uh, interview with Ray Fisher talking about how he felt marginalized by um, by Whedon and by other people on the on the things. And he went toe to toe with these guys. The whole thing is such a mess. I don't even know who to believe at this point. All I know is that Ray Fisher stood up for himself over and over again when he felt like he was being slighted, including to Jeff Johns, who helped write Cyborg in the first place, like telling him because because uh, uh, Cyborg, the character in the in the uh, Justice League, was kind of co-written by Ray Fisher. Like they they consulted with him over and over again about how they wanted this character to be portrayed, and so he felt very very connected to this, not just because. Um, it's one of his first roles, but it's also one of the first black superheroes on screen in a big major movie. Uh, so he felt like he had a duty to uphold and was very connected to the character. And when Josh Whedon wanted to make changes to that, he felt very uh, slighted by that. Um, and whether or not that's fair or not, it's kind of up in the air, but basically he felt like he was being ganged up on by all these executives. Um, and he felt like he was just like a no name that they could just push around. And it was really, really, it's really sick, honestly. But apparently Whedon treated the other actors uh, equally bad as well. Anyway, Warner Bros. Uh, wanted the movie to be shorter, uh, and there was there's a real economic reason for movies to be shorter. Uh, and four hours was just too long. The studio gave Whedon approximately a hundred million to conduct reshoots. I saw that movie that number floating around a lot uh, when this was originally happening, um, but I couldn't find any good confirmation on that. So famously, some of those reshoots reshoots went to uh, fixing Henry Cavill's face. It's because Henry Cavill was shooting Mission Impossible 6, and he had this glorious mustache in that movie. And he refused to shave it for the reshoots for um, Justice League. So a significant amount of money went into editing out his mustache in the reshoots. And I just watched the uh, theatrical version again today. And you, if you're paying attention to his top lip, it's freaky, especially in the <laughs> scenes you know that are, like, are shot later. It's so weird. It's just such a weird thing to look at. Um, and it's, always, it's only going to get uh, weirder as time goes on. Anyway, so the movie was released and it was and it flopped. It was a critical and commercial failure. Uh, and this is where the conspiracy started. There was lots of fans got, uh, had this idea in their head that Snyder's vision of the movie was pretty much done and was just sitting on a hard drive somewhere ready for final touches and release. They basically thought this uh, because the production had been interrupted so late. All of the shooting had been completed. Uh, so they thought, well, obviously it's done, Pretty much, they, he just has to put in the final, you know, little cuts and stuff, and then it, and then we had, he can release it. But there was no evidence that this was the case, um, and there's no evidence that a Snyder cut existed at all. And even if it did, why would Warner, Warner Brothers undermine one of their most expensive movies ever and release it? 
there is actually kind of a precedent for this, believe it or not. There's a um, Ridley Scott's Blade Runner uh, has a ton of different versions uh, of the movie. There was a theatrical version that had a voiceover, and then uh, Ridley Scott released another version that had different scenes and no voiceover. There's a whole bunch of other versions too. None of these versions, I feel, fix Blade Runner's most fundamental flaw, which is that it's dreadfully boring, but that's my opinion. Uh, and this happened almost a decade after the theatrical cut was released of Blade Runner. So the Snyder Cut remained kind of just a meme for a while. Like any online fan base, there was a lot of elements of toxicity attached to the group, but it was really fueled by this idea that there was a better movie existed and these fans weren't served what they were promised, essentially, right? The... You think about it. It makes perfect sense, right? Justice League comes out. It's not as good as people want it to be. They say, well, there must be a better version out there. They get into their heads that there must be a better version out there. And they think, that's the one I want to see. That's the one I want to see. And this will, you know, and if the Snyder Cuts are released, damn it, my family will talk to me again because they'll realize that I'm not so crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, especially if you're a DC fanboy and you're just getting absolutely, like, bulldozed by Marvel, like, reaching paramount heights of success. You're desperate at this point. Exactly. It just makes perfect sense to me. But then something weird starts to happen. Actors from the movie start to confirm that they've seen the Snyder Cut, that it actually does exist. And then Zack Snyder says it exists. I couldn't find the exact tweet because I didn't have time to look it up. But he said something like he had like a like a hard drive or something. He said, is this the Snyder Cut? Uh, th- does it exist? Of course it does. Something like that. Oh, that's such a good reveal. <laughs> and uh, uh, so th- and then but then like, OK, so it exists. Right. But the studio would never release it. Right. Well, everything changed when the pandemic hit and the oh lockdown started. Movie studios started scrambling to release anything they could, and the Snyder Cut became an opportunity. So Warner Brothers gave Snyder seventy million more dollars to finish the, his vision of the movie. Uh, he did that. They did that in early twenty twenty, and that is the version that was released this year in March twenty twenty one. Wow! I heard that they didn't use any of the uh, shots from the J- uh, Justice League uh, <laughs> shoots. Why have I not heard that before? It's so funny. <laughs> Really, I got a shout out. Uh, Kuz gave me that one. That's Justice what he's been, League, that's so good. That's how he's been referring to it. There's a Justice League and then the Snyder Cut. Those are the two movies. That's so funny. Um, yeah, um, I, Which I means, believe that. Well, what that means is that this version, the, the Snyder Cut, didn't have any of the Henry Cavill uh, mustache weirdness. Right, but it did have like some really good other Jared Leto weirdness. That whole epilogue scene, I think, was filmed after... Uh, uh. In this other session too. Well, I, I didn't notice it that? when I was watching it, but somebody pointed out that they were never in the scene together. They like shot it oh. in different uh, sections. So, well, I when I was researching that scene, I saw that there was a teaser scene that they released from that same shot, and it was oh. the Joker saying, "We live in a society," which is so. Of course, he says that. You know, like it's it's too on the nose. Um, yeah, you know, like when they had. <laughs> is that uh, even his line? Really, isn't that Heath Ledger? Like, who's accredited with, like, the society memes? Or is that uh, Joaquin Phoenix, who's, like, the society joker? I'm not even... Well, I know he definitely is the society joker, but I don't even know who says that. Like, I, I don't I think anybody that says we live a, in a society. I think, yeah, I think, I think that's it's an just online a meme. thing. Yeah. But, um, but like, but it's, not, thing, it's not Jared it's, Leto's joker that's, like, that's uh, that gets attributed... Like, that gets put next to you know exactly which is why it feels so cheap to have him say it and i know he doesn't say it in the movie but like is the epilogue does that even count as an inclusion like the jared leto joker just seems like such a mess to me where it's he's been so it's been such a disappointment and it's not necessarily even jared leto's fault it's just like every time i see the jared leto joker i'm like 
well, this movie he's in sucks. <laughs> yes. I, you don't have a chance to ha- be a good Joker when everything that you show up in sucks already. Um, and, and this epilogue to me is just a distraction. I, I didn't like it at all because first off it begs the question, if we're seeing this, did what we just saw even happen? The alternate future, which one's real is right. the flash going to trip while he's time traveling and accidentally undo the Snyder cut events. And then mm. suddenly none of that matters why did i waste four hours of my life so like <laughs> none of that n- that didn't add anything for me if anything it, it totally took away from it especially thinking about how the state of the dceu and the likelihood that most of this stuff doesn't matter at all this well, I don't, I th- I, the way i interpreted the epilogue and the flash forward scenes is this is going this is still yet to happen Dark side is going to arrive on Earth anyway, even though the Steppenwolf failed, and somehow convince somehow uh, Lois Lane is going to die, and then Superman is going to turn going to go crazy and uh, join up with Dark Side, and they're going to destroy the Earth together. Um, that was that's like my interpretation of that. Okay, okay, I can see that, and and the I liked what you said there about potentially Superman becoming evil. Now that is a twist. Well, you <laughs> have never seen him fight the heroes before. <laughs> You know, at this point, is Superman ever going to fight? Like, he barely fights the bad guys. This guy, I'm getting tired of this guy being such a uh, villain all the time. Actually, I think this is a great transition into our quotable moment. Okay. Uh, So go ahead. I want to juxtapose this uh, quote from this movie with another quote. So we'll start with the one from this movie. You did it. You put the team together to fight this war. You've fulfilled your promise. But to try to do that, I mean, your guilt's overcome your reason. Not all the king's horses, nor all the king's men could offer it for once. I'm operating strictly on faith, not on reason. Okay, so basically, this is a conversation between Batfleck and stupid, sexy Alfred, where <laughs> Batman says that for once I'm operating strictly on faith, not on reason. He's explaining his thought process, which immediately for me brings me back to another time Batman described his thought process. He has the power to wipe out the entire human race. And if we believe there's even a 1% chance that he is our enemy, we have to take it as an absolute certainty. And we have to destroy him. And I mean, there's a couple of ways you could look at this. <laughs> um, you can look at it in the positive way and be like, look at the growth from Batman. He mm. recognizes how much of a stupid idiot he was before. And now he's, you know, operating strictly on faith. No more probabilities for Batman. I mean, is that really even understanding probabilities in the first place? <laughs> No, it's not. But but also, the other thing you can look at it is Batman doesn't know what the hell he's doing at all. <laughs> he originally was like, I'm absolutely certain of this thing that might be a 1% chance. Also, I go off of faith. Like, you... What? You're just flaccid and spineless, Batman. That's how I see you in this. And I, it's just more reason for me not to like Batfleck. In the uh, theatrical, in the, Just, the Justice League, uh, there is a scene where... Um uh, they're f- where Superman is fighting Batman, and it's fa- it's very interesting and cool and different. Uh, and he pulls, <laughs> he holds up Batman's face, and he says, "You won't let me live, and you won't let me die," which I thought was kind of cool. You know, it was like kind of an interesting uh, like observation from Superman in this situation where Batman's like kind of wishy washy on his uh, feelings about Superman. So um, yeah, I, yeah, I kind of see that. 
He definitely is wishy-washy. Um, I almost wish that in somebody's premonition or future version that where they show, uh, like, you know, what the fate of our heroes. I almost wish that they would show Robert Pattinson as Batman. Oh, that'd be cool. <laughs> it's like, and I'm not sure if that means that like Bruce Wayne is dead and there's a different guy being Batman or if it's just like he looks different now. Like that's, that's interesting. So in uh, the CW shows, which I'm a big fan of all of the CW DC shows um, in there, they have a crisis on infinite earths and they have a bunch of different, you know, characters from different Earths and stuff, and uh, they all come together to fight one big bad guy. And Ezra Klein from the DC uh, EU shows up as an alternate version of Flash briefly in the CW show on the Flash, and meets That's up awesome. with uh, Grant Gustin, uh, who <sighs> plays the Flash on the show. It was cool. It was like it was only a few seconds, but it was a it was a definitely a really cool moment to have them both there and their different suits, lightning going everywhere. Like, hey, I know you. You look very familiar. <laughs> I so. do. I mean, superhero movies are definitely doing this thing where they're kind of blurring the lines between movies and TV shows, which I really like. Um, but yeah, so it's um. Anyways, I don't like Batfleck. I think it's a, like there's a lot to not like about the DCEU as far as the portrayal of superheroes. Some of them they get really like I think Wonder Woman is fantastic. Cyborg I really like. I like Flash. Batfleck, it's a no for me, dog. Yeah. And I know that he's like there's a confirmation that he's going to come back in something else, even though he already retired as Batman. Uh, but I'm looking forward to Robert Pattinson. Batman. It's weird. Like I never got that sense of like scale from him that I did with other Batmans. You what know, do you mean scale. He was the chunkiest Batman we've ever seen. If anything, <laughs> he's breaking the scale. <laughs> I mean, like like Christian Bale, like as Batman, like you could picture him as Bruce Wayne. I mean, maybe that's just because Christian Bale is such an amazing actor. But you could see him like as Bruce Wayne, like trying to fit into this world and like see him coming to that fruition and then making those decisions and him under the suit and everything he just seems crazy enough that he might do that right whereas batman like like 20 years down the line old batman is like it's like oh i'm just doing this because i've always done it kind of thing i don't know it's just he doesn't there's not as much like like it's not as special and i'm also thinking like michael keaton's batman too you know where like you got the sense that when he was he was when he was playing that role it was something kind of important in a way or like it was different and it was uh he was going to be showing uh, kind of an interesting side to this character and he kind of again like he's kind of weird and like you kind of be you believe that he's the reasons he's doing the things he's doing is not just that he's doing it you know right and in this one it's like batman exists and i guess he's played by a reluctant ben affleck that's what i felt like so. Totally agree. It's not very compelling. It's forgettable. I like Batman so much that it just it sucks to see him portrayed by Ben Affleck. Um, it's just yeah. a disappointment. I'm just thinking about like in the future, you know, 20 years from now, looking back, we're gonna be looking at all the different characters, all the different actors that played Batman, and Ben Affleck's not gonna stand out as one of the like the ones that was really memorable to me. The one well, that, I mean, he'll that stand out job. in a sense of like he took up the most space, or, or like okay. if they were lined up next to each other, he'd be the widest. All but, right, <laughs> and I'm not even just saying that, like he's big in like a Gears of War character design kind of way, where it's like, dang, like I didn't realize that your pecs had to be that enormous. Even his to be even Batman. his symbol is that is kind of wide. Yeah, it's just it doesn't. It's like he looks like the metal batman from batman v superman all the time right, right. and uh anyways i think we've ragged on ben affleck enough but it's i'm excited for robert pattinson batman let's get back to some good bat uh action here there you go uh, 
good grappling hook, but nothing else. Anyways, Joey, <laughs> I think you know what time it is. It is time for us to go a little deeper. deeper, deeper. Okay, so I kind of went down a little rabbit hole here. Um, so I don't know if you noticed, but in, included in this movie and some of the exposition scenes are mentions of the Olympian gods, uh, like the Greek and Roman gods, uh, appearing in uh to fight dark side aries zeus uh artemis uh you know all these people um that we recognize from mythology and, and so also, i was well isn't aries the bad guy from wonder woman uh isn't he yeah i think he is one of the gods is yeah, i've been right. so long since i've seen you're right that movie. he's a, a lupin he plays uh he's a aries yeah yeah anyways um, anyway sorry yeah, so I I was trying to find out is this like canonical? You know, does are the uh, Roman like is there Olympian gods in DC comics? And it turns out they are. So although they do not appear in Justice League colon War, the Olympian gods are briefly mentioned by Wonder Woman during a conversation with Superman about their other about the other five heroes, referencing Batman as Hades, who is just as dark and mysterious. Uh, just as Maxine Zeus did in the Fire from Olympus episode of Batman the Animated Series. Green Lantern as Apollo, the God of Light, Flash as Hermes, the Messenger of Olympus and God of Speed, Cyborg as Hephaestus, the blacksmith of Olympus and God of Metal, and Shazam as Zeus, God of Lightning. So she connects these two directly and saying they are the new incarnation of the old gods. Um, but the actual old gods are also appear um, in the story, especially in Wonder Woman stories. Um, there was a, so apparently uh, this is all from Wikipedia. There was an argument between Aphrodite and Ares that led to the creation of the Amazons, and they've been guided and protected by the goddesses ever since. And Ares uh, was an enemy of the Amazons, which again I for, totally forgot about, but that's definitely the plot of Wonder Woman. Um, and then Princess Diana, uh, uh, escorted by Hermes, is goes to the man's world, and where she's called. Uh, Wonder Woman, and then Hephaestus forges Wonder Woman's uh, golden lasso of truth, um, and her silver bracelets uh, that she uses are, I guess they're bracers, actually, um, in this one. Uh, no, so, are they gauntlets? Gauntlets go over, are uh, like gloves. Bracers are like wrist things. What? I thought gauntlets were a forearm thing. The, the, the <laughs> Infinity Gauntlet is not a forearm thing. That's a good point. It's a glove. That's a good point. That's a it's good a, point. Listen, all right. I learned I'm about thinking, this from playing D and I think I know. Yeah, no, no, no. That's exactly where you should learn it. I, I'm, I'm kind of thinking back to like my days of playing Oblivion. Um, I think I, I'm, I may be way off. Um, the last time I inter, like, you know, thought about a gauntlet was I played a song called Gauntlet in my orchestra class. So I, I, I can't even conceptualize <laughs> what that would be physically. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but I was really interested in this idea of like the uh the superheroes as kind of reincarnations of the olympians and i found this interesting article that wasn't that well written from alcation.com i think it's some blog somewhere about superheroes as our modern mythology but then i found an interesting article from the guardian uh that talked a lot uh, had a bunch of different th threads throughout it but it had a bunch of interesting sections which i will read a couple for you right here uh there are greek greek myths says lawrence maslon the author of superheroes, capes, cows, and the creation of comic book culture. But the difference is they're no longer what the Greek myths were to the Greeks. They're what they were to Western civilization centuries later. We know them so well now. They have outlived their intent of the original. And there are people who grew up with them, seven-year-olds who are now 57. Uh, they don't want to throw them away. 
uh, but they want to interpret them through the lens of our own time. And the article goes on to give a bunch of examples about how superheroes have evolved over time to reflect our cultural moment. For example, uh, in the uh, when they were first uh, created, they were kind of a wish fulfillment. Titles from the golden age of comic books, which lasted until the early 1950s, were also uncomplicated stories of good guys prevailing over evil. And then after that, like uh, kind of an age of humanity, which was known as the Silver Age, uh, came into effect, which is uh, characters like Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four, which focused more on the human side of these characters uh, and their dynamics uh, than necessarily their powers. Um, in the 1980s, Alan Moore's seminal Watchmen series jolted comic books into yet another era, a period sometimes known as the Dark Age. As postmodernism took hold and the real world started to gaze more intently at its own navel, uh, superheroes followed suit, dwelling endlessly on their own motivations and circumstances, finding themselves morally compromised and wondering where they stood in the world. There were more practical changes, too, uh, that uh, precipitated the superhero's later shift from fundamentally childish preoccupation to pop culture symbol of the age. It wasn't that just that Watchmen was so intelligent and meta, says Maslow, or, or, or uh, Maslon. It, it was stitched together as a trade paperback. That was a huge game changer. You could read eight or 10 preconceived storylines together instead of going to your comic dealer once a month. So it changed the way that the whole structure of superheroes were told. And then um, this again changed with DC and Marvel when they discovered that their universes could form the basis of an endless, reliably bankable, if artistically patchy, stream of movies. And in doing so, managed to transcend the limitations of the declining comic book market and that atmosphere uh, has persisted. But there are more interesting things going on too. Even if the superhero remains a typically white male figure, women and ethnic minorities are slightly more visible presences these days. And a modern uh, skepticism about authority and trustworthiness of heroes has infected our myths as well. And movies that came out uh, that kind of reflect that are Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, Captain America Civil War, and X-Men Apocalypse. All of these are, you know, talking about uh, the role of heroes in our society and whether we can trust them as uh, their stated goals. Whereas before they were always like held up as something that we should strive for or, or, or always morally good. Now we're questioning their motives. And then uh, self-seriousness kind of turns itself inside out when we get movies like Kick-Ass and heroes like Deadpool as well. Again, kind of poking fun at the whole idea of being a superhero. Um, and then I have this uh, interesting quote from uh, author Nick Harkaway, who created Tiger Man, who is kind of, kind of a meta superhero. Uh, Pop culture gives you the temperature of the nation. We live uh, with the weird. We live with the weird now. We live with technology, and maybe some of these superheroes wear ordinary clothes because we live in an extra extraordinary world. They're our point of identification. One of the examples they give in the article is Jessica Jones, uh, who is someone who is very. She doesn't act or look like a typical superhero and yet she has superpowers um and another quote uh from alavi tidar the author of violent country uh, which is another comic book uh, the idea of the superhero it's uh, it's changed from world war ii when you knew who the good guys were that's less and less clear and we're not sure about the whole idea of heroes anymore we're in a more cynical age we haven't had a righteous cause like that and so the heroes themselves are becoming tarnished so again like uh, the, as time changes, as the times change, and as we understand the world differently, superheroes have come to reflect that as well. Um, again, another reason why this movie is kind of dated, even though it only came out, like, it was supposed to come out four years ago, it's uh, it's not really reflecting our cultural moment anymore. It's not really taking it into that effect. Um, but what's interesting is it did it does kind of respond to that, right? One of the big criticisms of Man of Steel and uh, Batman v Superman was the amount of 
uh, like abhorrent destruction that happens outside of that right and it, it's so it's so um egregious that you know you can dismiss it. it's like oh it's just a movie or whatever and it's like oh it's really interesting to watch all these things get destroyed but like I don't know. It's hard for you to uh, to reconcile that as a person now and say, well, that, if that really happened, then that would be really, really terrible. This movie is pre pretending to exist in the real world. Let's treat it as if it's acting in the real world. So it's um, yeah, it's, it's very interesting to see how this just changes over time. Oh, yeah. And, and I think uh, and a, another addition to kind of the timeline of superhero portrayal, I think an important one is The Boys and yes. the, its portrayal of superheroes because unlike dceu they don't care if the superheroes look like terrible people for killing civilians that's part of the portrayal that they're going for and i love the boys people i don't know some people are like oh you're watching more superhero stuff aren't you tired of superhero stuff i think that what you just talked about explains a little bit of the appeal where it's not just i watched enough superhero movies and ding i'm full on superheroes it's watching superheroes with the times like as they transform how the portrayal changes how our opinion of superheroes changes with the times as well because yeah we are in a cynical age it's way more interesting for me now to consider uh that superheroes like if they existed what their position in civilization would be instead of just saying if superheroes existed then we would have someone who could do all the good exactly yeah the boys is a perfect example of like reflecting how we see the world now Right, and the heroes of that story are ordinary people who fight corruption, uh, which happens to be people who have unlimited power, which is a perfect example a metaphor for what happens in our in our world. Um, and I think it's another example of how why Marvel succeeded where other like uh, franchises fell apart. They changed with the times, and they used superheroes as metaphors to tell interesting stories instead of just saying this is a superhero story. You know, they're saying, okay, well, this is a story about. Um, you know, somebody who loses everything, which is what Thor is about, right? And how he deals with that. And you put Thor in that situation and he's interesting and funny, um, but you're really telling a different kind of story through the lens of a superhero story. And I think like getting to that point is such an important way to keep your franchise alive because ultimately you get stuff like we watched here, which is the same as everything else. Right. And I like the idea of superheroes as a modern day mythology because there is such a rich history to it. Now that I've spent so much time with Batman and, and again, I'm, I'm just a I'm a cinema Andy because I haven't read any Batman comic books, but I've seen a lot of the movies. And whenever I see before, I used to see someone who would wear a black Batman T-shirt that just has the Batman logo on his chest. I'm like, that's pretty default but now that has so much more meaning to me in a way that is almost unrivaled for other characters that i've experienced through cinema so i think that's really cool and it builds every time as you know sometimes it makes it worse bat fleck but uh, sometimes it makes it much better uh when it's done well so i i yeah i i i like the parallel there with mythology definitely Okay, well, I think that's going to conclude our discussion on Zack Snyder's Justice League. As we do at the end of every episode of Affable Chat, we will now deliver our ratings. Joey, what rating do you want to give to this movie? Re-released over and over and over <laughs> and over and over and over. I give this movie a pair of glasses that completely masks your identity. <laughs> and then you can go to work at the... Be a journalist. <laughs> the daily. What was the daily? The Daily Planet. It had yeah, it like is the a, Daily Planet. Yeah. What was the? Um, <laughs> what was the side? Like, it said on oh. the side of the bus or something. It said like the Daily Planet delivering the 
the planet's news daily or something, yeah, something like, like that so, yeah. it's so stupid well and then they threw okay i may have missed it but the newspaper said something like new architect takes over bank or something like redesigns bank it didn't yeah. seem like that was necessary at all like nothing came of that it was yeah like, I, I saw that too i was like i actually went back and tried to read that to see if i if it was a clue to like say superman is dead or something like that yeah. but it um it definitely did it, and then I was like, "Oh, I guess that's some other reference that I don't understand." <laughs> yeah, so, I guess maybe that's some fan service. I guess I can't one hundred percent market against it. But anyways, there you have it. Zack Snyder's Justice League. The hu- the hype. Did we make it under four hours? Aha! It is did. possible. <laughs> <laughs> Joey, what's next on Affable Chat? We are sticking with HBO Max to get our money's worth. Uh, we're going to Godzilla versus Kong. Yes, the uh, the quintessential question: Who who will win? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, do you, have you seen it yet? Do you know who wins? I have not seen it yet. I have seen the first Godzilla, and I've seen the the new Kong movie with Samuel Jackson. Um, pretty good. Did you see the uh, Jack Black Kong movie? No, there's a no. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah I, I remember that one. <laughs> I uh, did not see it. I was like, what? Jack Black <laughs> plays King Kong. <laughs> <laughs> he totally could. Um, and then what about, did you did you see Godzilla versus Walter White? Yes, that's the first one. That's the first one? Oh, okay, okay. Do you want me to, um, I, and then what I about Godzilla versus? Bad, but he's barely in the movie. <laughs> no, 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 I won't feel bad. I'm making Neither fun of, of the, I'm like, making fun of the, uh, the, the only person in the ads. movie less than, uh, the only person less in the movie less than Godzilla is Walter White. <laughs> Oh, wow. Well, um, but it, I just remember those commercials were on right after Breaking Bad concluded. So every commercial was like, it's definitely Brian Cranston. Like this movie right, is right. Brian Cranston. It's definitely not going to get rid of him just five minutes into the movie. Like it's totally Godzilla versus Walter White. That's right, Anyways, right. we'll find out. I guess just what I want to say is I'm team uh, Godzilla. Um, oh, that that's that's who I'm rooting for. Hashtag team Godzilla. You're not returning and- to monkey. I'm not returning to Monkey. I lo- Godzilla has the epic uh, like scream. I had a Godzilla yeah. toy when I was a kid that played the sound. It was very iconic. And um, he's got all- the like yeah the atomic breath like the lasers you can shoot mm-hmm. out of his mouth. Yeah, but I just I'm think a, he's he's a lizard and he's cool. So I, I'm a he, big I'm lizard guy too. So I, I I think I might side with you on, God, on all Godzilla. Right. Well, we know who we'll be rooting for. We'll find out who wins on the next episode of Affable Chat. If you want to subscribe to us, you can subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And wherever you listen to us, leave us a review because it does help us grow. You can reach us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Affable Chat or send us an email, affablechat at gmail.com. We also have a YouTube channel. Uh, It's called Affable Chat. Just search it on YouTube. Affable Chat is live Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern on Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash affablechat. That's going to do it for this episode. For Affable Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening.